0: If you would, uh, take your Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We're dismissing our young people, many of them, and in a moment we're going to put this passage up on the screen. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. You can take it down for now. We'll put it up in just a a moment. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 is your turning. Several years ago, many, many years ago, in fact, I'm just getting old. That's the bottom line. But a long time ago when I was a young man, I hit a kind of what I would consider spiritual, uh, spiritually dry season, and I had a friend, a really good friend, who was walking with me. We really pulled each other out of trouble, and really, uh, I think it was a kind of a a Hebrews friendship where we provoked one another to love and good deeds. And he kind of had that platform. You got anybody like that in your life where they say something, you're they're EF hunting. You listen because you just trust them, and you know they have your best in their heart, and. He said, man, let's go on a spiritual retreat. And I was thinking, you know, sign up for a conference, you know, 250 bucks, stay at a fancy hotel, uh, Four Seasons, you know, fancy stuff, and hear a, a battery of great Christian speakers and have worship leaders um, lead me into the presence of God. And he goes, let's go on a spiritual retreat. Let's, I've got a friend in, out in uh, Utah who's got about 50 acres at the base of a mountain. It's sort of a desert uh, area. And let's go out there and let's go, let's go camping. Let's get a tent and let's camp and let's fish and let's pray and let's fast. And we will, that's just bring your fishing pole. And if we catch any fish, we'll eat it. If not, we'll just fast for several days. And that was kind of the, the fleece, I think, that we put before the Lord. And, and I joined him. There were a, a couple other guys, like-minded guys. And we, there we were in this just beautiful part of, of God's country. Uh, we were at the base of this mountain, the, the land we had free. F- we were just free to roam. And I went for a walk one day. It was the first day the sun came up. We had spent one night, and, and I just went alone just to, to really seek the Lord. I think it was one of the more unique moments in, in all of my life. And I was walking, and I had a backpack. I had a bottle of water. I had a Bible. I had a journal. And I was just on foot walking and walking, and in the, uh, in the distance, I saw a, a dog, or what I, what I thought looked like a dog, and what I hoped was a dog. In fact, I hoped it was a friendly dog. That was my prayer. God, make that Fido uh, sort of like a household pet. As I, We were kind of walking toward each other, and it occurred to me as I got a little bit closer, he to me and me to him, I actually should say her, because what I saw was a uh, bighorn, small, bighorn sheep, and I, I remember thinking, cool, I like sheep, I, I dig sheep. And as we started getting closer, I realized that she had an attitude. She, she was kind of, you know, um, bucking up a little bit, I guess you could say, she put up on her hoofs like this and she kind of did a baa and a hiss and some weird noises that I couldn't even begin to impersonate now. And I was like, okay, I either need to reason with this animal or run. And I'm sure there's some law that says never run from a bighorn sheep. Uh, in Utah, I'm sure there's some unspoken rule, but I just began to reason, and I, you know, I was thinking of Ecclesiastes three. There's a time to kill, okay? And don't, don't judge me now. You didn't see this sheep, right? There was, it was, I was, there was, was the base of the mountain. It was, my friends were behind me. The mountain was that way, and it was just, I mean, it was desert land, and it was flat and featureless at this point. There were no trees. There was no car to run on. No mommy to cry for, and it was just me and this female bighorn sheep. And I thought, man, this is going to be a horrible way to die. I mean, my family would be explaining that for the rest of their lives. What happened to Robert? Well, female bighorn sheep, 30-pound female, killed him in Utah. I mean, you, you can't say that without laughing, right? Nobody, I mean, it's, you know, people would do right. They would show their sympathy. But in, inside, they would laugh. 30-pound female sheep took, took him out. And I've always thought I want to die a hero's death. I want to be a martyr. I want to rush into a burning building and res- rescue puppies and children and stuff. That's how I'd like to go, you know, but, but uh, this death in Utah would be so, so horrible. And you know, I thought, boy, this desert thing is starting off bad. I, I would rather be with people in a modern environment with all those conveniences and comforts, the creature comforts that we all are Terribly accustomed to, right? But here I was in the desert and it was what you believe about a desert. It was, it was remote. We were roughing it. It was so primitive. We had experiences there that you couldn't ha- have in any city. And there I was in this desert and I truly was there in that moment to reason and wrestle. And I did kick the sheep by the way. But, it, but anyway, obviously I made it out alive, but I, it started bad. But for me, it was a time to really seek God in a dry season of my life. And what I want to say to you this morning before we read the text is, is that we all got to log some time in the desert. The desert is it's dry and it's, it's barren. It's arid. It's arduous. It's, it's not a land of milk and honey. And I like the land of milk and honey, don't you? It, where it, it's easy to trust in the land of milk and honey. Everything goes well. Prayers get answered. Problems go away. Your teeth are straight. Your team wins. All those things happen. Worship is real and authentic and and your fellowship is sweet and service is delightful in the land of milk and honey. And I thank God for those milk and honey moments. Milk and honey. Yeah. I thank God for those. And I, I, I rejoice that, that spiritual dryness is not a, a regular part of my life. Uh, Jesus said, all you who are thirsty, come to me. And he's going to satisfy us. And we drink from the well that he gives to us. And I thank God for those moments. And even though I want that land where things flow, God's good and sweet gifts come to me freely and openly, we got to log some time in the desert. Look with me at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. Solomon is walking through it, and you know, if you've been here or you're familiar with this great book of philosophy, smack dab in the middle of your Bibles, Solomon is saying, man, you can do this, you can do this, you can pursue all these things, and when it's all said and done, you're going to be painted up like some sort of clown and put in a box, and is anybody going to remember you? Is any of it ever really going to matter? And he is saying over and over again, yea, 38 times he says in 12 chapters that life under the sun is meaningless. It's just vanity. It's chasing after the wind. And we're trying to have some cheer up here in Fondren Church, right? But we're just preaching the scripture. Let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter five. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, I'm already in trouble, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, ouch. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools, pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay Let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and the words grow many, there's vanity. But God is the one you must fear. I believe in a desert moment, Solomon tells us to guard our steps. Guard your steps. Now Solomon was in charge of building the temple of the Old Testament. He had some um, 153,000 men and it took him seven years. I bet that was a grand cathedral. Do you think? We've been watching on a daily basis uh, anywhere from 40 to 100 people, mostly men, worked five, sometimes six days a week here at Fondren Church in this beautiful place, um, a a lot of square footage behind us and they're working hard doing things and to see them over the last uh, eight to 10 weeks and to see the changes that they're bringing, the improvements while we maintain the the beauty and tradition of this place. But to see these guys work and to think, here's Solomon leading uh, this nation, 153,000 men working seven years to build the temple. When he says something about going to the house of God, you just wanna listen, don't you? You just want to hear what he says uh, about worship. A man who's lived with so much excess that's tried it all. And he says, Let, let's go. Let's go to the house of God. But he says, as we go, maybe um, it would be rendered, before you go, guard your steps. The, the way we walk, it's important. Now, it tells us, the scripture tells us, um, it tells us in, in, in Micah that we need to... Um, To walk humbly with God. It tells us in Ephesians 5 that we are to walk carefully. In Colossians 2, it tells us that we're to walk by faith. In 1 John, it tells us that we're to walk in the light. Um, And then it says this in Proverbs chapter 4, look at this passage we'll put up. When you walk, and we all do, don't be held back. When you run, you won't stumble. Take hold of my instructions, don't let them go. Guard them, there's that word, for they are the key to life. Don't do as the wicked do, and don't follow the path. Of evildoers. If you're going to be a student of God's Word, it's good to, to, read, to read for breadth. Read all of the Bible for the breadth and then hone in on important passages and characters and books of this book uh, to, to understand the depth of it all. But here we see Solomon in, in at least two different places talking about your steps the way you walk and the importance of having that guarded. Unless you're moonwalking, The direction of your steps dictate the direction of your life. Do you agree with that? And uh, I've got a pretty mean Michael Jackson. You guys want to see me moonwalk? We play Billie Jean just for a couple of minutes. We play Billie Jean and I moonwalk. You guys want to see that today? Yeah, it's not happening. It's not happening. You're clapping. You're clapping. Paul started it, but it's not going to happen today. My wife is just terrified right now. I mean, she is terrified. She thought I was, she th- you didn't, but she thought I was going to moonwalk. But hey, unless you're moonwalking where these are faced, that's where you're going. And this morning I asked you, where are your feet facing? Are you heading to the temple of God? Is God a priority in your life? What does he say? He says, guard your steps. Uh, several years ago, when I was going through my midlife crisis, I signed up to run a marathon. I'm looking at a couple of folks, uh, David Seigo back there, that just uh, last uh, weekend did an Ironman, 140 point something miles um, up in Chattanooga. And man, I, I you know I didn't do something that crazy, but just a marathon. I did several of them. I, I finished most of them. And I said, I'm, I'm going to we're going to go with a group of friends. We're going to go to Washington D.C. and run the Marine Corps Marathon in the month of October. Uh, beautiful place and fabulous run. And when we were uh, flying up there. We had a group of probably 30 people and we all kind of fanned out on different flights, different hotels in a general area. And I was on a shuttle bus and I asked the shuttle bus driver when we pulled up by this certain hotel because I'm a historian, I remember looking at that hotel and I knew what had happened right in front of that hotel. President Ronald Reagan was shot right there. We drove right past it. It was one of those moments I'm like, stop the van, stop the shuttle van. And I got out and we, we had a moment. I had to tip extra, but I, I, we got out and just had a moment right here was where President Ronald Reagan was gunned down. And, and if you remember or studied it historically, you know that not only was he, he shot, and as a Republican, he requested a, um, a Republican um, surgeon to take care of him in the hospital uh, three miles down the road when he was taken there. But you might remember that um, Secret Service were shot. In fact, uh, James Brady, the most uh, famous name that became a name uh, in the political lobby and back and forth of gun control eventually succumbed um, to, to that shot. And man, we live in a nation where uh, we would say that everybody has value and we're enacting laws, passing legislation. Uh, we, preachers preach and teachers teach and civic uh, people get together and say, let's, uh, let's preach the merit and worth and value of everybody. But we have some important people in our country and we would probably agree the president is the guy, Right. And he's so important. What are we going to do with the president? We're going to guard him. We're going to put people around him. We're going to put people around him that will take a bullet before he does. That's how he... Now, how do you justify those two, right? You're, you're just as equal in the sight of God, but you're going to take a bullet before this guy. We guard him. And why do we guard him? Simple question. Everybody's going to get this right, even the people in the balcony. Why do we guard our president? He's important. He's important. He's really, really important. In other words, you need to circle around. This guy is so important, we need to circle around him. There needs to be a preeminent line of fire. There needs to be some buffer zone because what's inside is so important. Let's protect this guy. Solomon says that in Proverbs 4, 23, about your heart. A lot of you know this. Above all else, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. And he says, guard your feet. It's so important. We guard important things. We guard important people. We guard from attack. We guard from things that we're afraid of. We guard from ISIS and Ebola and on Saturday from Auburn. Things that could hurt us, we want to guard ourselves from that very thing. And that's what he said in Ecclesiastes 5, guard your feet. You're not moonwalking through life. And One pastor put it this way, the principle of the path is where your feet are pointed, that's, that's where you're going. It's your direction, not so much your intention. And he says next, he says, draw near. When you guard your steps, draw near. James 4, 8 promises us, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Hebrews 10, 22 says that we ought to draw near to him with a very sincere heart full of faith. Hebrews 4.16 says we ought to draw near, I love this expression, to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Does anybody need that promise today? Has anybody needed that in their life? I love that expression in Hebrews, the throne of grace. We see what the Ecclesiastes writer, the philosopher talks about about there's a God in heaven. You are on earth, and He is in heaven. That's the throne. We we need to remember that God is higher than we are. We need more of the sovereignty of God, but yet there's the throne of what? The throne of grace that you can you can come near to. Yesterday, after a ball game at my alma mater, I'm trying to be a preacher for all people, and wasn't wasn't yesterday a great day in the state of Mississippi Uh, for everybody? So let me just say it, hotty toddy. And uh, Hell State, right? But at my particular alma mater, um, after the ball game, an hour or so, I was with my family. My whole family went to the game and sat together. And we were, we were tailgating with some fondren church people. I was just there to make sure they were behaving. And uh, walked right past us and, and approaching our tent were, uh, were was the athletic director and the former athletic director, Greg Byrne and Scott Strickland. They came up. We had a delightful, uh, probably 10 or 15-minute conversation. I remember thinking how funny that is because here are a couple of guys that oversee these athletic budgets of multi-million dollars alone. The stadium expansion uh, itself was $75 million. And I'm sure they were up in the club level, not where I was seated yesterday, right? But they, they walked out among the people. And let me ask you, just because we could see them and visit with them and talk to them, uh, does, does that mean they're any less great or that they lost their position or their authority? Does that, does that lessen the fact that they were in club level? You see what I'm saying? In other words, God has his authority, and God is who he is. And for some of us today, we need to hear the sovereignty of God, that as Isaiah says, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts, they are not our thoughts. And God is is up high. He's in the club level. But that throne, that's, that's the idea there. But there's that grace, and there's that idea that you can boldly come to the throne of grace. You don't have to stop to somebody that's a celebrity or some big time guy that makes decisions and and be aloof from that person. And God is saying, I reign supreme over all. There's no one higher than me, but you can come boldly to this throne of grace. Draw near, guard your steps and draw near. And why, why do we draw near? He tells us in this passage in Ecclesiastes five, so that we can listen, draw near to listen. I'm well, well, well into my upper 40s with a birthday this month, incidentally. But with age comes a little bit of loss. You're thinking, Robert, you got pretty big ears. I know I do, but I just can't hear like I used to. And I find myself, when I can't hear something, especially my kids, what do I do? I just kind of, I lean into that. I, I, I draw near so that I can hear them. And I think there's this invitation for us if we're going to know God, if we're going to experience his manifest presence and know him in his fullness, that we have to have the a right posture, that we've got to guard our steps and that we have to draw near so that we can hear from him. We can listen to his voice. Some of you know James 1, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And we put it in there. If you're doing a sermon-based small group of Ecclesiastes uh, this fall, if you get in your group tonight or, or uh, Wednesday night or whenever your small group meets, you're going to be asked that question. Around a circle, you're, you're going to be asked this question, what does James 1.19 look like when it's not lived out? When you're not quick to hear, when you're not slow to speak and slow to anger, how ugly can that be? And how beautiful that can be if it's lived out? What, what if that was true? In my life, I learned one night this week at about 9:45 that my youngest kid had not memorized his Bible verse. And what did I do? I said, "Wesley, do you know your Bible verse? What is it? And the moment I barked that out to him, he was guilty of sin. And of course, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. No, no, no. He, he was guilty. I, and man. I was a little up in arms and I blame mama. You know, she's, she's, she's there. She's the one that should be teaching us. Why didn't he know his Bible? You're my son. I'm a pastor. You better know your Bible. What's the verse. First Corinthians 15, three, three and four. That's Jesus. He rose from the dead. He's paid the price for our sins. Sit down and memorize this verse. My goodness. You're going to memorize this verse before you go to sleep. We're going to say it again in the morning. And let me ask you, does anyone see a little character flaw in me in there? Anybody? Anybody a little troubled maybe? Maybe I I got a little, does anybody see the irony there, the sad irony? Draw near. Guard your steps. God wants to do something in us when when we listen to him and listen to his word. And the thing is, it says to us that there's a, a, a sacrifice of fools, the Bible says. Now, what would that mean? The, the idea that Solomon is getting forth to us is there, there's a way, it even says it in the passage, there is a way that we think is right. There is this idea of evil being in us, but we don't know that it's evil. We don't, we don't see it. We, we think, listen, church, we've got to be inflicted. 2014, America, Mississippi, okay? Maybe the greatest college football state ever. Right now in 2014, I mean, who can touch us? But we're, we're, we're afflicted with religion, too. And there are some things that we think please God, but it doesn't. We don't even recognize You know what he's saying? That sometimes we don't even recognize evil. Now, evil seems a strong word. That, I went to Cambodia. I went to the killing fields this summer with about 10 people from Fonder Church. That's evil, right, to uh, see the massacre of 2 to 3 million people. That, that's evil. But there's all kind of ranges and scope and magnitude of evil. And Solomon is telling us there's evil in us and evil that we don't even recognize. And a lot of times, listen, a lot of times it's tied to our our many words, to our hasty hearts. Jesus in Matthew 6, he he was with some religious people like, like us in a lot of ways. And they thought their prayers that God heard were prayers of eloquence. These are many times very educational people, who uh, educated people, they, 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 they took the Ten Commandments and added to them, they had 613 commandments, which many of them kept. And they thought that they were honoring God with their prayers of eloquence. And what did Jesus say to that? He said simple words. It's not your eloquence, it's your honesty. Th- those are the prayers. Those are the prayers that I hear. Not the the many words, maybe it's fewer words. Maybe it's more honest words. Maybe it's simpler words. Words not to be seen by others. Words not to attempt to manipulate a higher deity for our selfish gain. But when we just pour out our hearts, when we are maybe even in a desert season, the best thing that we can do is to pour out our hearts with sincerity and honesty. Now, draw near to what? Say it, draw near to... So listen, draw near to listen. Most of you have seen it. I thought about playing it, but probably 97% of you have seen this remarkable video of this beautiful young man, a little Asian guy. I don't know his ethnicity, but he's standing there. uh, What's his name? He's just looking at his mom, and he wants a cupcake. He's bargaining for the cupcake. You've seen this. Evidently, his mom's name is Linda, right? Are you with me? And he's like, listen, Linda, Linda, listen. Listen, listen, Linda, Linda, listen, Linda. Linda, listen, listen, listen. Obviously, this young guy wants to be heard. You have seen this, right? I'm really on an island here. Just shake your hand. Anybody seen this? Pull it up on YouTube really fast. Save me here. Pretty good impersonation if you ask me. But anyway, listen, this kid wants a cupcake. but He wants to be heard. And isn't that in us? Linguistics professor I was reading this week says that we can speak about 100 to 150 words a minute, but we hear about 600 words a minute. That means we're not good listeners a lot of times. We, we, she says that we commit a lot of listening sins. Uh, these are mental things that we do. We, we run ahead, we jump in, we block out, we brush away. These are things that we do. You ever been with someone and they're telling you about something that's important to them and you're on the 18th, 18th fairway in your mind or you're out there in the woods or you're, you're wondering what your team's gonna be ranked? right you're you're somewhere you're you're not listening and solomon is saying in this pain of this existential pain of this 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 world that when you achieve so much when you try so much that it feels so empty he takes a little pause here And he says, yeah, you remember last week, you remember the evil that we saw, the oppression. There was was all the oppression. He said that in Ecclesiastes 4. He wasn't looking at a few things. He said all the oppression. I, I feel that way when I look at this world. Do you? I mean, all the people that are being oppressed, their tears and those in power doing little to comfort or alleviate that pain. I see that and I see the envy of man. I see that we are motivated primarily by our envy. And he says... We've got to go to God. We've got to guard our steps. We've got to draw near. We've got to draw near to listen, to hear from him. And there is the sacrifice of fools. If God doesn't hear the person of studious intelligence and the prayer of eloquence, what does he hear? Psalm 51, 17. The prayer that God hears is the broken and contrite heart. It's the prayer where you know that you need him. I'm convinced that the best prayers that i pray. prayed are prayers, where I just pour it out. After I survived the 30-pound female sheep, I got back to seeking God and praying, thanking Him for the danger that He allows to come into my life, but that He, he provides for me. He is a shield and a high tower, a, a protector, a fortress in my life. Draw near, guard your steps so that you can listen and let your words be few. Here's a reality. You and I, whether we know it or not, we are vow makers. We make some vows. Think for a second the promises you've made this week or recently. Uh, some of our people, young and not so young, just made a vow there to follow Jesus. They, they believe that Christ is their Savior and their Lord, and we worship God, and we come around them and say, we're with you in this journey. We want to see God complete that. We make vows in marriage. We make a covenant. Uh, Many of you have accepted the invitation to become covenant members of Fondren Church. Uh, It's easy to do. It's not a complicated process. We don't want to make it difficult. We just want to make it meaningful to to covenant. Say, I'll invest in this church. I'll connect in this church. I'll serve here. This is my church family. But here's what I know. It's so easy to make a vow, but so hard to keep it. Shake your head if you believe that's true. If you've been hurt or you've hurt somebody, look, I've been on both ends of that. The other day I was griping about how fickle people are. Well, who can you count on? People sign up and they don't show up or people say this, but they don't do it. I was irritated. But man, God holds a mirror up to my own life. And I think, what are the words? When have my words been so much and my follow through has been so frail, so few? Friend of mine, he's one of the elders in our church. He told me a few weeks ago, he said, you know, Robert, I get up a couple of mornings a week early to run with these guys, doctors and people in, in Northeast Jackson. He says, we go for a run two mornings a week. And I've, I've made a vow before the Lord to once a week get up and cook breakfast for my family. Now I was with him. I was, a, I was, I was with a, about a three-hour meeting with him here uh, a couple of weeks ago. And we left. And that, that was one of those meetings that you had to debrief the meeting. And then you're standing out in the parking lot because some guys are debriefing the debrief of the meeting. You know, you ever have one of those? And that was one of those nights. And we went to Bobaloo and grabbed a burger, and we were talking. And it was about 10:30, getting close to 11 o'clock. And my boy's running to Kroger or somewhere, whoever's open, to so it, to, to buy ingredients to cook breakfast for his family. And I couldn't help but think, what a simple, simple move. What a good thing to do. What what a what a good vow to make. And that's, it's easy to make those vows, but man, it's hard to get up in the morning, isn't it? It's hard to stick, see something through to stick with that. But think of what that could yield for this family. Think of how that wife and those children could feel loved and cared for if this guy, this friend of mine, not only makes the vow, but keeps the vow. And we are people, I'm talking about myself here, I'm not looking down on anyone We are people, I'm telling you, here's our bent in life. This is our our proclivity. This is our nature. We get excited in here, in places like this, and we say amen. We say I'm all in. We say I'm all about it. And we leave, and you know what we do. You know what our tendency is? We do nothing. Nothing. Be careful. Be careful of the promises that you make. But make them. Make those promises. And there's this beautiful power as we find meaning, shared meaning in our struggles. Maybe today you're not in a desert. Maybe you're sitting by a spiritual swimming pool drinking a pina colada, virgin pina colada, and a cool breeze is blowing your way. Things are are good for you. But maybe there's a desert for you and it's frustrating and agonizing and you're wanting to give up. You don't know the way out. Solomon says in the midst of this madness, madness, Guard your steps. There's going to be things that trip you up. But your feet. The direction of your life is very important. Important enough to guard. To look out after. Go to the temple. Draw near in order to hear Him. And as you hear Him, He's going to move you to worship, to connection. You're going to be stirred. Some of you, I'll say this in closing, some of you oftentimes will talk to me when you're in a desert season or a tough time and you're, you're not hearing the voice of God. And I will say, I can't fix things. I, I hate it when I sit with some of you, and I've learned this myself. You know, sometimes we think uh, somebody's got that next book or that sermon or that church service or that new thing, and this is a thing that's going to fix me. But I would say to you, find what stirs your affection for Jesus and then saturate your life with them, And find out what robs your affection for Christ and walk away from that. You probably need to make a vow as you do that. And I pray this morning, you can be a vow keeper. Let's pray. As we enter into a time of prayer, I wanna ask you this morning not about the intention of your life but the direction of your life where are your feet headed said it a couple of times but life is it's not a moonwalk it's not where your feet are headed that's where your life is headed are they pointed in the right direction are your feet going in a direction and going to things that rob you of Jesus what he wants to do in you, who he wants you to become. Our Father, we, we this morning as we round toward home, Lord, we want to pray. Thank you that this book is um, dealing with our realities. And that no matter uh, whether we're in scarcity or in abundance, No matter if we're sitting around a swimming pool feeling the breeze or out in a desert uh, not knowing the danger not knowing the, the barrenness of what lies ahead that our steps matter and they need to be guarded that the proximity we have either towards you or away from you is essential. And God I pray for these people for your people I pray for I pray for us this morning and your work in us. Life under the sun is its killing us. But there's life above. We are on earth, but there's one in heaven. And it's mind-blowing to think that we can draw near, that we can draw near to listen. For the hearts in the room that are racked, with the reality of not being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I pray for your grace. I pray for your grace in us. We could experience that. Just a moment, we're going to ask you to stand, and we're going to be uh, down front here to pray, to pray for you. Uh, We would love this to be a time where we give it to God just for a few moments. We reserve it. Uh, we all sing, but for some of us, it's a time to, to be prayed for, to pray for somebody. There are needs all around this room. We want this to be a high and holy moment for us as a church. Reserve it for him. And we're gonna be down front to come around you to pray for you. Would you give us uh, that privilege? Let's stand and let's Let's sing.